if you never lived in a van, then it's all hypotheticals, right? You're just looking at shiny things on the internet. You see them in YouTube videos or Instagram and you're like, oh, I want, want, want. But it doesn't mean it's necessarily great for living. So we try and sort of inject the, the reality into that and help people make sort of good decisions for them. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 284 with Nate Murphy. Nate Murphy is an adventurous builder and filmmaker who has taken on not just one, but countless incredible projects, converting several vans into cozy living spaces and renovating a centuries-old house in the beautiful Pyrenees Mountains. In our conversation, Nate shares his experience of building a van from scratch, documenting every step of the process with over 100 hours of footage. We'll dive into the challenges of editing that massive amount of content down into 70 videos and the exhaustion and determination that went into the final product. Nate also opens up about the intense filming process and the unique aspects of van conversion that make it both intimidating and incredibly cool. But that's not all. Nate goes beyond the van and shares the captivating story of renovating a 250-year-old house in the scenic Pyrenees. From stripping down the structure to its bare bones to envisioning its future, we'll hear about the demanding and rewarding journey of bringing new life to this historical gem. Whether you're curious about van conversions, tiny house living, or the challenges of renovating an old house, this episode has something for everyone. So sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired by Nate Murphy's tales of adventure, construction, and the pursuit of a simpler way of living. Let's jump in. I asked John and Finn Kernahan of United Tiny House Association what they love about their precision temp hot water heaters, and here's what they told me. Hey, Ethan, uh, this is uh, John and Finn Kernahan with the United Tiny House Association. We organize tiny house festivals. Oh, yeah, I guess so. First and foremost. We have a total of three precision temp on-demand hot water heaters. The thing we really like about these, and folks know this, I think they picked this up on Finn and I, if we don't like something, you'll never hear us talk about it. So the two things we noticed uh, that, that we noticed and experienced immediately uh, they took painstaking effort to make sure that it was done right and installed. And so that was pretty cool right there. The other thing is the continuous on-demand hot water that just ran forever without any fluctuations or anything. I, I can't imagine an application, especially in our environment and our lifestyle of being the, the, the nomad transportable, mobile, uh, tiny lifestyle where uh, one of these units aren't uh, good to use. Right now, Precision Temp is offering $100 off any unit plus free shipping when you use the coupon code THLP. So head over to precisiontemp.com and use the coupon code THLP at checkout for $100 off any unit. That's P-R-E-C-I-S-I-O-N-Temp.com, coupon code THLP. Thank you so much to Precision Temp for sponsoring our show. All right, I am here with Nate Murphy. Nate Murphy is a rock climbing and van life YouTuber from the UK. He's been traveling for many years and tends to base his travel destinations around good climbing areas throughout the world. On his YouTube channel, Nate shows you how to convert a van into a camper van. He also creates tours of van conversions for inspiration and shares his process of doing his best to practice what he preaches, which is using alternative ways of living so that he can live a more free and adventurous life. Nate Murphy, welcome to the show. 
Well, thank you for having me on, Ethan. It's a uh, it's really great to to be on your your podcast series. Great, yeah, it's it's great to have you on. Uh, I've been following you for for so many years, and um, I don't know how I found you initially, but I came across um your guide mm-hmm. to to converting a van and just found it to be just incredibly comprehensive and and helpful. Um, but before we get into all that, I was curious. You know, how did you get into van life in the first place? So for me, van life started off as just basically it was like a tool. I didn't yep. like follow a load of people. I didn't, I guess it mm-hmm. wasn't so much on social media and stuff like that back then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And basically I was on this like really like sort of career break and I wanted to focus on rock climbing and just see how hard I could climb. I just wanted to dedicate yep. a lot of time to it. Mm-hmm. I obviously had a limited amount of savings and income coming in while I was traveling. Okay. So a van seemed like a really great tool and it's really popular for climbers throughout the world to, mm-hmm. to use vans mm-hmm. to, to travel and climb. And so so basically I, I, I was drawn to van life as a way to live cheaply wherever I wanted. I could follow the climbing season. I could use it for a base six months a year and then like be in different continent for the other six months. Just a really mm. flexible base, home base, keep all my gear in it, all the ropes and the climbing kit. Yeah. And it was just a way to to live my life. And and I really, really saw it as a tool rather than like van life as a destination of lifestyle. Yep. I saw it as a tool to enable me to do the thing I wanted to do uh, more effectively. Right. Got it. Yeah. And I've, I've definitely, you know, seen and heard that there is a, a big van life kind of culture within the rock climbing community just because you the you know the rock climbing is usually in remote locations you want to be mm-hmm. nearby you want to spend as much time there as possible and not traveling back and forth to like a hotel or something absolutely and 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 i think also you have in, in the sort of the climbing culture there's there's definitely like a dirt bag roughing it sort of theme so the idea of living in a van is actually almost a little bit luxury yeah and i think also as as a sport which is a little bit condition dependent and if you're doing it like for a long period of time, it just makes sense to be able to just move when the conditions are mm-hmm. bad. Mm-hmm. So it it seems like in a way the um the van life, the kind of the the tool to get you to the lifestyle that you wanted, it seems like it's it's in a way it's like taking over what you're doing. Yeah, <laughs> or is that not true? I mean, it's certainly taken over in terms of like, I don't know, it, it's really created this sort of career divergence, you know? So before I was yeah. doing sort of more startup type things, um, I lived in London. Mm-hmm. And then with uh, the van and I produced videos about how to build a van online, which did like phenomenally well, especially especially back then. Mm-hmm. And then I had so many questions. Yeah. Continuous questions. So I, so I thought with that, okay, well, I'll, I'll write a book and I'll, I'll sell a book. Yeah. And, and that did reasonably well. And then since then, like the YouTube channel grew, I've kind of hired someone to help me do the editing. Mm-hmm. I had a guy who's also helping me do filming in the States. So it just meant that yeah. sort of it moved into being YouTube, which was just sort of for fun. I was making climbing videos and some stuff, which I thought would be helpful for the people to do with vans and things like that. Yeah. And then it sort of turned into a small business, which I may, maybe perhaps is in a sort of similar um, sort of similar way you've kind of ended up where you are and doing what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Sort of evolved out of it almost like a surprise. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's kind of it was a total surprise for me too. I never really 
set out to become a, a tiny house like educator or, or <laughs> tiny house yeah. person other than just like wanting to build one and, and live in it. Yeah. But but I, th- I think there's there's something probably as well with you, there's something sort of intrinsic. I, I really like to to share and educate and help people. Yeah. And and I think from that, that sort of urge, like general base urge to like create things that were useful for other people to save them time or, or share that process then yeah. you, suddenly you added value in a way which you didn't necessarily expect. And then that value mm-hmm. creates something that you can kind of continue and, and, you know, make sustainable. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So take me like on your kind of entrepreneurship journey when it comes to van, van conversion stuff. Was the van conversion guide kind of your first product, your first educational product that you put out there? For vans, it was. Yeah. 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 I've done a bunch okay. of entrepreneurial stuff before, but the it was just... It, to be honest, the van conversion guide started off as a little bit like slightly like throwaway. It was like, all right, I'll just do it. And yeah. and and I and I, I I spent, you know, a few days and just try and brain dump my information, create images, diagrams. And the yeah. first version yeah. of the, the ebook wasn't like it wasn't amazing, but it answered all the questions that people were asking. And yeah. since then yeah. we're in like we're in the fourteenth edition now. So it's obviously a, a lot better than it was. Um and we've got considerable time into to making it what it is now. Yeah, no, it's, it's, um, you know, I bought it years ago and I, I'm pleasantly surprised that I've, you know, you've continued issuing new editions and kind of keeping it updated with the current technology and techniques and, and van models. And, and also not to mention that it, it, you know, the, the vans in the, in the UK and in Europe are different vans than they are in the States. And you, you seem to cover all the bases. But yeah, that's the general aim because I realized quite early yeah. on that like a big part of like the market is 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 US based, especially yeah. sort of California that that sort of that coast. Yep, yep. So really, I I've, I put a lot of effort to make sure that the 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 guide is useful. But originally, I for quite a long time I had like US, Europe, and UK versions. Now it's one version, but I just basically split out the key differences. You know, like whether we're using imperial or metric measurements. Yeah. And, and and actually, over that time, there's been some divergence in the bands. So the US mm. and Europe as sprinters. But since Dodge came out with the ProMaster, that's the same as a very large number of bands in, in Europe. So it, it kind of actually made my job a bit, a bit easier because so many people are converting nice. quite similar vehicles. Nice. Well, that 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 sounds like it does make it quite a bit easier. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And then and then you also have a course. Um, I guess it's DIY hero. DIY hero dot me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, so the course, I mean, I, I think, you know, with any sort of business space, you end up with a situation where you're doing something for a while and then a load of people think, Oh, we can do that too. They sort of basically yeah. repeat, re- replicate what they've done. I'm sure that's happened in, in your area as well. Yeah. Yeah. So you end up with like, um, like for van ebook, how to convert a van. It's quite saturated. There's people who've come in and sort of, mm-hmm. I don't want to say they ripped off, but they've basically been like, obviously been influenced by what you've done and then right. they, they've right. built on it or they've, they've made something slightly different. Sure. So if you want to kind of stay in the game and, and have enough like revenue to make it sustainable, then you mm-hmm. need to adapt, obviously, and, yep. and branch yep. out into different things. So the course was a way to like, okay, well, a lot of people are quite happy just to work from an ebook. There are also many people for whom doing a DIY project is 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 quite a scary undertaking. Maybe they've done like almost no DIY. They haven't even put up a shelf. 
Yeah. And the idea of the course is to take someone from like zero to hero. That's why I call it DIY hero. Yeah. But the idea is yeah. it's like really hands on showing you like, you know, sort of like almost classroom ones which show you like how all the theory works. And then literally every single step in practice is it's like 170 videos long. It was an absolute wow. monster of a of a of a project. I didn't quite yeah. appreciate how much work that had been when we went into it. But some of these videos are like an hour long or more because it's like how to sew cushions. A big process. <laughs> it took forever. Yeah, yeah. It took so much time and so much investment to make the course. But I'm really happy with how it's come out. People mm-hmm. who are on the course so far just seem to really love it. They get a lot of value from it. And and yeah. actually surprisingly, there's a lot of people on it who actually they're like, oh, I've renovated like, you know, my house or like the f- one floor of my house. And mm-hmm. and actually the reason I buy the course is because I don't want to waste my time trying to work everything out. They just want to like right. have it shown because they 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 I think if you've done a bunch of that work, you can appreciate how how useful it is to have someone some show you in like in practice how to do stuff and just cut to the chase. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that is that is interesting that that, you know, someone who has renovated a house who is kind of handy and, and knowledgeable, um, they know how long it takes to figure stuff out if you've never done it before. So having kind of a shortcut or just a, a, a manual is very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. I mean, and, and they've definitely, they've, they've, some of them explicitly said that like, I'm buying the course. I know I could figure it out, but I just don't want to waste my time. I just want to yeah. build the van and I want to just look at a video and then go and do it. And, and that's fine. Yeah. I think it's really cool. There, there are some people who want to work it all out, but like, if, if that's not you, then a course or something is useful. Yeah. The layout options of a van that seems value. That's something that I appreciate in the ebook and, and I've never converted a van myself and, and I may never, it's kind of, it's, it's back there in my head as something that I would, that I'd love to do one day. Mm-hmm. And then during the pandemic, I was like, well, this is the time to do it. But that, that so did everybody else in the entire <laughs> yeah. universe, you know, yeah. had that same idea that it was time to convert a van, but having the, the kind of featured layouts and because like, it's a very small space. And so Going with a layout that works well and is is livable and functional is is very important. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, we, and of course, and the event, we try and take people through that sort of design process because, it, like, well, there's it's two parts of it really. There's there's what mm-hmm. you want and what's right for you. And if you've never yeah. if you've never lived in a van, then it's all hypotheticals, right? You're just looking at shiny yeah. things on the internet. You see them in YouTube videos or Instagram and you're like, oh, I want, want, want. Yeah. But it doesn't mean it's necessarily great for living. So we try and sort of inject the, the reality into that and help people make sort of yeah. good decisions for them. So for example, if you're really tall, you probably don't want to be sleeping side to side because, you know, it might be fine for a few fit. days. But if you're living in it for like three months, it, it could just become really uncomfortable. And Yeah. And, and I don't know. And there's also a lot of like optimism about, you know, power systems and electrics. And you know, we try to help people navigate that yeah. without spending an absolute fortune. So you essentially had to build a new van to make the course. Yeah, I literally, that was the, basically what I did. So I sold my van yeah. and bought a van, which was a real nuisance because it's the pandemic, post pandemic. So it's like 30% more expensive just for the base vehicle. Yeah. And it was six weeks late. It really messed our mm. schedule but yeah then i basically built a built a van for the best part of a month and had a guy yeah my camera guy ezra he just filmed it continuously every single part of the build it was exhausting oh actually it was and then we ended up with you know well over 100 hours of footage which had to be edited down into these like 170 videos oh my gosh 
we came back to Spain, um, where, where I, I built a house. And I had two other guys with Ezra editing all the time for like two months, just working, 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 just oh. to try and get it done like for, for the release date, which was January the 1st this year. Wow. And it was, wow. it was a real, it was a real fight. <laughs> That's a huge project. And also like, you know, having worked on, you know, I built my house and I've fixed lots of stuff and it's like, even when you know what you're doing, there's a lot of time that you're just kind of puzzling it out and you try, mm-hmm. you know, you try turning it one way and it doesn't work. So you have to try <laughs> it the other way. And so like, how do you handle that while you're supposed to be educate, you're supposed to be teaching and you're like, well, that didn't work. I guess I'll try something else. Uh, I, I think if there's any like real dithering, I mean, that's yeah. not really useful for people to just cut it out. Watching, <laughs> yeah. watching a load of dithering. And of course yeah. there are, yeah. there are points where I just have to stare at things and like, okay, how is this? Because again, like you said, you're playing with very tight space constraints. So sometimes yeah, yeah. you've got to play with things a little bit. So you, mostly we just edit out my dithering. Uh, but also we're in, in a very we're in a very short um, build schedule. So I generally yeah. I, I built this van out in 25 days, and obviously we filmed all the um, uh, like the educational videos, which is like sat at a table describing all the things. So it was a, a non-stop, very intense period for both me and and Ezra, the who did the filming. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was exhausted. And then also in the evening, you've got to order stuff to make sure you have all the stuff ready to do it in that yep. short time. Logistics is like horrible. It's the worst part. Yeah. It's yeah. I wouldn't recommend building a van in, in a really short period of time unless you're slightly sadistic and <laughs> you like pain. Yeah. So like 25 days, it seems like if you are a pro, essentially, you can do it. What what would be a more like reasonable time frame that you see? people building out a van in so uh, the, the way i see it is for me to build out like a pretty high quality van it with you know a good number of systems it does depend exactly you could build out a van in a day if you're just banging in a bed and mm-hmm. not worrying about anything but uh mm-hmm. for, for a pretty decent van it would take me about 250 hours of, of labor mm-hmm. so if you're not very experienced call it 300 and then it depends on how many hours you could put in a week so you can just take that like baseline figure and you say okay well i can put in 10 hours a week and now you know how many weeks it's going to take it's going to take a lot of weeks so i think (laughs) exactly so and and that's 10 hours a week every week and and i think what drags it out for a lot of people is often like you know it's hard for them to build it because they've got to build it on the street and they've got to put their tools away and take them out every time and you know, they come home from work and they're very tired and they just put it off and put it off. And, and then it takes like a year or something. And mm. basically there is an advantage to doing it intensely. So like if you're going to take off a year to travel or something, you can, yeah. you know, maybe you can get a bunch done beforehand, but you just spent three weeks nonstop, 12 hours a day and you get it done. Mm. It, it's just, I guess it depends on your situation. But if you take, if you're doing a pretty decent high quality most the systems sort of van conversion consider 300 hours and then split that out over the weekends or the spare time or evenings you have yeah yeah and it'll it it seems like you know if you really are going to diy a van from start to finish you're going to learn electrical plumbing gas line hookups carpentry just the whole gamut window installation yeah yeah i I think that's i mean it's one of the things which makes it intimidating but it's also one of the really cool mm-hmm. things about doing a van conversion project which i right. guess is very similar to a tiny house but it's like mm-hmm. a different 
scale because the structure's already there for you, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I think the cool thing is, is if you could build out a van conversion and you have put in your own plumbing, it's going to be, mostly it's going to be push fit plumbing. It's basically the same as yeah. you put in the house. Yeah. You might be installing some gas. I would always like, you know, put a disclaimer, be careful of gas if you're not sure, get some of the jacket. Yeah. But, you know, you can yeah. install a yeah. gas system and you learn about compression fittings and how that works. Mm-hmm. And then you're doing your electrics. And and like when mm-hmm. you, you install these things, I think it, for a lot of people, they come out with it just realizing that they can do a lot more. Mm-hmm. And it can transform how they think about themselves or their capabilities or, you know, if they've got a little project at home or another project in the future, suddenly they realize, yeah, yeah, they can work it out. They could build a whole yeah. van conversion, off-grid electric system. So you mentioned that you renovated an old house completely. Is that, do you feel like that's kind of an extension or that was like the next step for you after doing the van conversions and just applying your skills to, to a traditional home? I think in some ways it is. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's a, it's a mix. I mean, basically, I was traveling in a van for, I was traveling for five years, traveling in a van for four years. And I just really was mm-hmm. craving like a workshop space and some studio space to like create things. Yeah. And in the end, like long story short, it was a bit awkward to find industrial units and things in beautiful places. So in the end, I just bought an old house. Yeah. And once I pulled the trigger to buy it, then I pulled the trigger to go through that process of building it. And I, okay, I could pay builders to do it, but then I'm going to need a lot more money and it's going to take yep. a lot more time because, yep. you know, like to replace a roof, then you've got to find the roofing contractors and they'll be like, oh, we can start in six months time. Yep. So for me, that was an option. I didn't want to sit around waiting for a house to be built for like three years. Yeah. I was like, okay, I'm just going to get it. I'm going to do it. And, and I think, yeah, some of that, you know, belief of like, well, I, I can, if you believe you can, yep. everything else is figureoutable. Yep. Um, and yeah, and basically over the, and also without the pandemic, if I was paying people to do it, the pandemic would have just pushed it back by another year. So it was oh, yeah. 100% a really good thing for me to do by myself. And yeah, I think it's an extension of that similar mentality and, and, and sort of self-belief you can get when you sort of build anything. Yeah. So what did you do? What did you end up having to do in this house? Oh, basically, so the house is like, about 250 years old it's okay. the walls are made of sort of like stuck together mud and mortar and rock it's like really okay. it's an ancient the the the, the, the ground floor the walls are like half a meter wide you know like foot and a half wide or something it's wow. it's, it's it's old and it comes with this wow. barn and land and it looks over this like super beautiful scenic part of the pyrenees directly uh-huh. in some like climbing sectors so it's like on point for me and the, and the yeah. house basically the house needed like the roof taken off all the internal walls taken out, some of the internal floors, some openings made. Mm-hmm. And then basically you're taking it down to like just four walls and, and, and like two floors and then it's rebuilt. So it's like pretty major work. Wow. And I, and I like, I didn't really speak Spanish at the time or Catalan, mm. which is the other, the language here. And I did definitely did not know how to build a house or do mains electric or plumbing mm-hmm. or heat recovery systems or solar. So yep. there's definitely yep. like some learning involved there. Yeah. And some like serious like graph. So how do you approach learning something new? Like those things that you just mentioned, are you like, are you watching YouTube videos? Are you going to the hardware store and talking to the people? Like how do you kind of gain the confidence to actually start in on a job that you've not ever, that you, do, you don't know how to do it or you've never done it before? So I, I would say like all, all of the above, you know, yeah. So like to do the roof, so 
there's there's not really any videos on YouTube to show you how to build the roof in the style of the roofs that are built here. Uh-huh. So firstly, I had an architect because you have to have an architect to do major work. So the architect mm-hmm. could specify like the beams because yeah. she does yeah. the structural work, right? Yeah. And then there's this old guy in the village called Cisco who who did he was a builder for a while and he's retired. So he like gave me some good tips on how to do it. And actually, he would pop around every so often and check I got things you know straight because if you, yeah. your, if your beams yeah. are out of sync, then you're, you're causing yourself a real headache later. And then there's like a big dose of optimism. And I was also just like going around looking at roofs, <laughs> just looking at yeah. other roofs, just to try and like garner how the hell this is going to be done. And, and in the end, it was it was fine. It just sort of came together. It was just just because like, once you've got like the beams delivered, mm-hmm. the roof material delivered, and you, ru- and you know roughly what you do with a bond beam, like you've got to put this big bond beam around it because none of the, the walls are like pinned together properly. So you've got to like set the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just a matter of just getting on with it. And I, I, I think this is like the true of almost everything in terms of like building stuff is that once you've got the stuff in front of you, you can just figure it out. Like if you, if yeah. you get all the things like for me, it took, it took the longest to work out. I have a, like a, a wood fire with a, a back boiler and a heating system. And mm-hmm. there's some there's some complexity to it. Yeah. And but still, once I got all the stuff in front of me. And I just spent the time. It, it was it's all figure outable. Like everything, yeah. is, some of it's a pain in the ass, but it's all you can figure it out once you got the stuff. Yeah, totally. I I I also find like sleeping is great. Um, like I'm actually I'm actually renovating a, a small bathroom right now in a, in a mm-hmm. condo that was just like it was nasty. So and I wasn't <laughs> expecting to have to do it, but it just yeah. like it just happened. Like I the toilet was leaking and it was gross. So I just pulled it mm-hmm. out and then I was like, Oh, we need a new vanity. And then the floors were nasty. So I pulled those up and the bath fan pulled that down. And so like, I think the other night I was sitting in, I was like taking a bath cause I was so tired from working overhead. And I just watched the install video for this new bath <laughs> fan like three yeah. times. And it just like, didn't make sense to me. And then mm-hmm. I woke up the next morning and I was like, Oh, I, I know how to install this bath fan. It's just like, there's, there's some magic to sleeping. Yeah, yeah, I think your brain definitely processes these things. Yeah. I, I I can remember yeah. when I was doing the house, I was doing it quite intensely because I, I get a bit obsessed with like physical hands-on projects because I just mm. want them to be finished. And this, I know this isn't yeah. like enjoying the journey. Stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm not enjoying the journey. I'm enjoying because again, like to me, the house was a tool to do my other projects. Mm. I'm not I'm not excited about being a builder, but I am excited about doing the project. So so I was mm-hmm. doing it extremely. In- intensely and yeah and every night i was dreaming of building things <laughs> like every night yeah. it was it was yeah like you're kind of not escaping it but I, i'm definitely sure i'm like solving these problems in my sleep working this because there's endless problems with old house renovation as, as you probably know with a if you're refitting a bathroom yeah 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 endless problems and and all the things that people did poorly you know 50 years ago you know mm-hmm. you have to work extra hard to kind of mitigate the poor decisions that that people make absolutely before you. yeah 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 well the surprise right. is the surprise is when you take things out and you're like okay yeah. it turns out yeah. that every time they went up a level they moved the walls they made the walls thinner they didn't have to support <laughs> much weight and that made yeah. a real problem when you're running pipes and things it's just all these yeah. things is just surprises oh my. yeah oh my well one thing that i'm always curious about in vans um is just um dealing with cold weather because I, mm-hmm. I know that with that that metal skin you can run into problems with moisture and things so i was just curious um you know 
what is the kind of latest um, best practice, I guess you could say, for insulating a van so that it's, you know, comfy when it's when it's cold out? So, OK, so I, I actually think when it's cold, your two problems are not so much the cold. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. moisture is a problem because condensation, yeah. obviously, on a metal skin yeah. would be a, a huge problem. I, I had a friend who did Chamonix. So this is like a thousand meters is in the French Alps. Mm-hmm. He did a Chamonix mm-hmm. winter with a non-insulated van. And I, I, gave, I, I visited him and it was, it was horrible. Like in the night, it all froze. And then when he drove, it all rained. You know, it was oh. awful. So it is a big problem. Yeah. Maybe you can get away with it in super dry, arid climates and deserts and things. But in general, yeah, you want to insulate and you want to put yep. in a vapor barrier so that okay. it doesn't condensate onto something. And the humidity, you can extract it or it will just leave, but it won't just build up in, on, on your van or your skin or in your sills. Yeah. So that is, a, that yeah. is a seriously important thing to do, in my opinion, with the van conversion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in terms of like the latest and best methods, I mean, the latest, the, the best method is the one that you can do well, Okay. in my opinion. So the, probably the, the most effective one is when you have a professional come in and spray the foam all over the inside of the yeah. van. It does yeah. create other challenges for the build because you just sprayed foam all over your substructures. Yeah. But that's probably like the effective, most effective way. But that's mm-hmm. not the way I do because I just prefer to just to crack on do it myself. I tend to use recycled bottle like fleece and I put the yep. fleece in. I use spray foam on, on the hard to stuff areas. And then I just do a really good job on the vapor barrier like a foil-based mm-hmm. vapor barrier, tape it all mm-hmm. in Valiumine tape and just just be careful with it. And and I've never had a problem with condensation in vans. Nice. In when it's cold. And and really so apart from the moisture thing, I think the most important part of insulation is actually for the heat. Because let's say you're somewhere quite hot and mm. if your van and all the thermal mass, the, the mass of the thermal capacity inside your van heats up. And then at nighttime you're trying to cool your van down. It's going to take forever because everything got so hot in the daytime. So mm. good insulation and is is almost more important in the summer. So the van it'll get warm and stuffy when it's closed up, yeah. but it doesn't get really hot. Right, and that's probably the most important thing because it's quite easy to heat a van. You just use gas, gas heater. Done. Right, it's much if you're off grid, it's much harder to cool the van down in terms of your power systems just because of how yeah. much energy, electrical energy. That an AC unit will will, will consume. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, and then I'm sure just when you're actually living it day to day, finding a parking spot that's in the shade, if possible, is probably really helpful. And in, just yeah, being strategic. so long as you get enough solar. This is the other thing. Yeah, you, know, you yeah, don't want, oh you want to be in the shade too much. <laughs> so you you kind of want to be well insulated and in the sun and have nice healthy yeah. topped up batteries. All right, they're like twelve volt. AC units coming out, which are a little bit smaller than the traditional RV ones, which are only really designed to be plugged mm-hmm. in. And, and they are becoming a little bit more, more feasible if you've got like a pretty good solar array and a really good battery to battery charger mm-hmm. and you've got a big battery bank. But that, that all comes at like a cost. So you install your, your AC unit and it costs you $2,000, but now you've got to add like $5,000 to your electrical kit. And, and you, yeah. there's probably better ways of going about it unless you're really going to tropical climates. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I like this concept of kind of using van life as a tool to enable kind of a better life that it's not, it's not 
the van life is just the tool that you use to achieve this lifestyle that you want. Can you give some examples of maybe maybe people that have taken your courses and and kind of told you about what they're doing in van life? Or do you have any kind of stories to kind of illuminate that? So in terms of the course, well, yeah. we've only been live for sort of eight months. So there's mm-hmm. only one person who's like done and dusted, finished his van and, and, and is off. Nice. The others are still, I mean, because mostly people get it before they bought the van because we help them yeah. for that process. Yeah. And it's a good way for they can sort of bounce ideas of people or get like real advice. Mm-hmm. And so, so yes, yeah, so it takes a couple months and so no one's, yeah. no one else has finished the course yet. But in yep. general, I see, I, I just know a lot of people and I met a lot of people and people either through, through my business or just on the road who have used van life to set themselves free of like mm-hmm. rent tyranny, you know, like it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a big problem for people, especially younger people who haven't gotten the house and market or older people who, you know, they've been you know, working a long time and they're just starting to realize that it's, you know, it's hard to. Sort of take time off because they've got to still mm-hmm. pay rent or whatever so it is yeah. i mean i think like i have like a big bugbear with the property market and, and what we've collectively allowed to happen to it and i mean this yeah. is obviously must be really significant for the tiny house movement as well yeah i mean tiny houses have gotten more commercialized which in some ways is good because you can now easily find a professionally built, a well-built, professionally built tiny house. Um, The problem is that it, you know, a tiny house, when people ask, I asked you the how many hours of labor question for for a tiny house, you know, a thousand plus. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. And so, you know, and if, you know, if you're a pro builder, maybe you're getting that down by 10 or 15%, but like, there's no way around you know, the all the systems, all the labor. And so, you know, a professionally built tiny house, you know, they, I would say the least expensive ones that I see are, you know, start around $65,000 yeah, and yeah. go up, up, up into like, into the territory where there are traditional homes that, <laughs> you, you, know, that yeah, you could yeah. buy. Yeah. Um, you know, they're not going to be new construction. They're not going to be mobile tiny houses, but, um, yeah, it it and of course the the cost of building materials has like everywhere has gone up significantly. I with, particularly with, during the pandemic, but with, with, now with, they're back down a little bit. With with, ti- with tiny houses, I get I guess part of it is once you've let's say it's a big capital expenditure, you buy a really nice tiny house and, yeah. and it saves you, you know, and and you know maybe you could technically buy a traditional house for mm-hmm. that money, mm-hmm. but once you've got it, I guess your ongoing costs are really low. Right, because it's like super energy yeah. efficient, and you're not heating very it's much. It's energy space. efficient, yeah. And typically, um, I don't know how it works where you are, but you know, in the states, you have to pay property tax on on your house, and that's what funds that usually funds your town or your city. Yeah, and it's you know it can be thousands of dollars a year. Yeah, and so tiny houses in most places are not considered to be houses. So they don't get taxed. Mm, you save money there. They're not permanent. Or something? But yeah. then the the like downside to that is that you're not living legally. So you're always mm-hmm. at risk of like, you know, being asked to leave. Yeah. So yeah, there's yeah. there's kind of the dark side to to kind of being in that legal gray area. But but um, I would imagine if you're in like I don't know, again, depends probably on the state as well as the country. 
Yeah. But like here, it's like based on livable square footage. So I I guess even if you were taxed with a tiny house, it's like it's a tiny house. So if if, if the tax is based on the the square footage of your house or the property value or something, you're still going to be paying like a much lower tax rate than if you buy your, your general large format American home. Yeah. I actually had a tax bill on my tiny house for a couple of years when it was parked in this one town that, that, you know, saw it and said, yeah, you, you, that's fine, but we want to tax you. So I yeah. was legal there. I think my tax bill was, was about $500 a year. Um, which well, affordable, not isn't bad. It? <laughs> yeah. it's, it's downright yeah. affordable. I think, you know, what's also happening in the tiny house world is that, you know, people are developing places to park them that have, mm-hmm. you know, all the hookups, all the amenities. But that does add a cost to the lifestyle. You know, yeah. it's essentially you have a rent bill yeah. on top of owning your house. But, and I do think that tiny house living is absolutely still more, way more affordable than conventional living. Even if you're, you know, even if your tiny house costs you $100,000 and even if you have to pay five or $600 a month for a, a spot rental, just the amount of things that you can physically buy and consume just are so much less. Mm-hmm. So you save money in the lifestyle, at least in the in how much stuff you can own. So, so you see, it's almost like a, it almost like constrains your ability to consume. Yeah, you know, like it's like a, a capture consumerism based on your space. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, people <laughs> will fill. People just tend to fill the space that they have. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so I mean that's interesting. I I think like in in general, the same with van vans and van life, and I, I imagine it's very similar to tiny homes. I think yeah, people people have often said to me, well, you know, it's like a trend and it will go away mm-hmm. pretty soon. And and I, I I've done a lot of like research on this and I'm thinking on it, and I think yeah, it's really directly linked to like housing crisis and cost of Absolutely. cost of housing and. And and unless they can sort that out, which n- governments don't really want to bring down the price of houses, it will piss off lots of ele- their right electorate mm-hmm. who, who who vote. Yeah. So unless they solve that somehow, then you know, tiny houses or the appeal of basically yeah. living in more affordable alternative ways, like you know, to live a venture of life or just live a life which isn't only working, mm-hmm. or enable them to retire or enable people to, you know, just cut loose for a yeah. while. I think yeah. it's here to stay. I, well, I I believe I I agree completely. There was there was this article in Wired magazine about a month ago that was like, "What happened to the tiny house movement?" And mm-hmm. it the the title the headline was more offensive than the article itself <laughs> yeah, because yeah. like you know while the the reality TV shows might not be like as popular or as visible, you know what's happened over the last couple of years is that like there are several like real legitimate advocacy efforts that are legalizing tiny houses state by state. I mean, like every month or two you hear about, you know, another state has, you know, essentially legalized tiny houses. And and so that's happening. And, you know, I wanted to comment on what you said earlier about the the kind of the tiny house movement and the van life movement. You know, I consider a a van, a tiny house as well. Like they're kind of all under this umbrella. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. And yet it's such a different crowd. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I would say that, you know, at least the people, most, most people who are listening to my, you know, podcast or people who are reaching out to me, joining my online community and that kind of stuff tend to be people who are reaching retirement age, who want to 
stop working and basically take the money that they've saved up if they've saved any up and live affordably and stretch that money out. Um, and tiny houses are great for that. And so then the younger, younger people are still are doing tiny houses, but they're not staying in them long-term. They're kind mm-hmm. of, that's like their first transition. house. And they, yeah. yeah, it's transition. And, and both are fine. There's nothing wrong yeah, with yeah. You, just because you've decided to build a van or do a tiny house doesn't mean you're like you've failed if you don't live in it forever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that's interesting as, as an observation. I, I, I think younger people are probably more attracted to van life because it's like, yeah. you know, it's a bit of a more insecure way of living. It's less convenient. Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. probably also are like excited to travel and hit the road and have adventures. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not to say that older people aren't interested in doing those things, but they're not looking to do that as their full time like life. Right. I think right. you know, a tiny home probably appeals, it's like you said, probably to people, especially who are looking to retire, cut down mm-hmm. their costs, es- mm-hmm. escape, escape, you know, endless work. Yeah. Yeah. And it all just comes down to you know, cost of living or like a failure, a, a failure in our society, basically. Yeah. Yeah. We've definitely failed on the housing front or we're in a period of time where there is not enough housing and the housing that there is is just too expensive. It's, it's outrageous. And, and to be honest, I think in the States, it's, you, you've kind of got it a little bit better than, say, if you live in the UK, because mm-hmm. you pretty much can't just anywhere in the UK mm-hmm. put a tiny house on a piece of land that you own. You just can't. Right. The council will tell you to move it um, or, mm-hmm. or, or get rid of it. So yeah, I, I actually find that slightly outrageous that you're, you're not, yeah. you don't have the right to house yourself. You mm-hmm. have to buy in to an uh, expensive mortgage up system you know with yeah, traditional yeah. traditional structures uh, I, yeah. years ago i wanted to buy like this wooden beach hut on on mm. it's like a beautiful place like nine meters it's a tiny home basically but yeah with yeah. planning permission and, and fixed and yeah and uh you, you, there's no way to get a mortgage on it because it's non-standard structure it's made of wood which mm. is perfectly reasonable way to build a house you know, mm. in the states it's like largely wood constructions but it's so inflexible how they do the planning rules that you, you it just makes it a lot harder. And I think yeah. this, in the UK, maybe vans are more attractive because you don't have that problem. You can just get in your van and you can park it anywhere. You can park your van and on then, a piece of land if you wanted to, but not a tiny is it legal? Is it legal to, to live in the van though? Um, so if, you, if, if no one complains about it, you're pretty good. Yeah. The UK has recently passed some laws to do with vehicle living, or which is a little bit more restrictive. I mean, it's targeting like the gypsy traveler community, mm-hmm. less so than it is the you know van lifers who tend to be young people and are going on trips or whatever. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. It, it's pretty well tolerated. In in other countries, it's it's like in in Europe, it's much more like defined to be completely fine to be sleeping in your uh-huh. van. Mm-hmm. But yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah, I've I've been a little while since i've interviewed anyone who's in the tiny house world in the uk but like it's yeah it's very limited what what you can place and where which is probably probably why you haven't had so many to talk to you know yeah it's 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 just it's just really difficult it's very difficult there yeah and the property prices are outrageous across the country but especially in 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 areas where there's any economic um yeah opportunity it's very very difficult well 
which is partly why I, I live in a house in, in Spain in the mountains. Spain. <laughs> which I mean, I mean, there's people who bought vans. I know people who buy vans and fit them out, ex- expensive fit outs, which cost more than my house, including the renovation. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, I could come here and it, it's again, it all comes back from like the ability to live in the van. Mm-hmm. So I was living in a van, which allowed me to explore these different places, which allowed me to find my house. And when I renovated my house, I was living in my van, which meant I didn't have to, any other cost, didn't have to rent somewhere. Right, right. And, and just that whole process. And, and, and the house is just like, it serves the same purpose. It means yeah. I can live like debt free in mm-hmm. somewhere. I can spend way more time working on things I want to do without the massive overhead of you know, living in a city or paying insane amounts on mortgages, which now have like right. gone up by 30% because of the interest rate changes. Exactly. Oh, the interest rates. So you have, um, I don't know if it's still happening or it's going to be happening. Um, you're doing a webinar on how to live zero cost van life. Yeah. So basically, I mean, if this interests anyone in your audience. Yeah. But basically I, I've put out um, a free webinar that anyone can join and it shows people how they can make owning a van cost it cost nothing so it's basically considering how to fit with it price points how to mm-hmm. determine how much to spend on the conversion compared to the cost of the base van yeah and how to go through that process how to understand how to buy a converter van in a way that you know you could use it for three years have a time of your life come back and then you could sell it for a profit or, or break even and that depends yeah. on the value of the van the quality of your workmanship and all these things factor in so it's basically a webinar which of course, partly promotes my course, but it also yeah. um, gives really, really valuable information that helps people understand exactly how to make van life cost nothing. Yeah. And that's something that has always fascinated me about van life is and and like is that you can oftentimes sell your van if you've converted it yourself and at least break even, if not profit. Hmm. Yeah, it's I think it's really cool. I mean it's my both my my like my last two vans, the first van, I, I, I it was more of a break even because it was had some miles on it and stuff. Yeah. And that was cool. It's like three years of some of the best three years of travel and climbing in my life. Mm-hmm. And it cost me nothing apart from some labor, which I did in like right. 17 days. So, you know, and, right. and I mean, you're launched my YouTube channel, so I can't really complain yeah. about that. And then the second van, I, I, I made some like $18,000 profit on it. Um, it was like a newer van and a high, yeah. higher quality like install and kit and things like that. So it, mm-hmm. it fit, the, fit the market, hit, hit the market right. But again, like I used it for three years. I lived in a while, built my house. I traveled in it and I sell mm-hmm. it. And then, you know, it doesn't cost me anything. It, it's better. It makes me some money. So, I mean, yeah. it's really cool. I mean, obviously, it's, you know, that's not a consideration that everyone particularly cares about. Yeah. But I think for a lot of people, they get looking at van life and like, oh, this is going to cost a lot of money, but not necessarily. I, you, you, yeah. I, I would imagine there's a similar vibe potentially with tiny house. But I guess most people with tiny house, they're looking for like a longer term permanent thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas I would say the majority of people looking at van life aren't looking to live in it forever or like 20 years or something. They're more like, I'll live in it for a few years. Or yeah, travel in it I, and then sell it. I think that vans are pretty unique in that in that way because I haven't seen tiny houses appreciating in value in in the same way. Yeah, they're they're you know depreciating in the way that a vehicle just 
I think the thing with, with the van is that you, you're adding so much value, you know, you're taking this empty mm-hmm. van yeah. that is useful to a certain, you know, it's useful to contractors and builders and, and tradespeople. And then you're turning it into this like toy mm-hmm. for, for people <laughs> yeah. to, you know, enjoy, you know? And yeah. so, you know, you're going to live in it, but you might sell it to somebody who's like, yeah, I'm just going to go out on weekends. I'm going to go mountain biking. I'm going to, you know, this is going to kind of be a toy for me. So I think you're like maybe tapping into a different demographic when you sell the van. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, you're, you're, you're selling it to people who want the ready-made build, yeah. right? So, yeah. But I would imagine, you know, if you're like the, the younger people who mm-hmm. build a tiny house to live in for a few years before we go to a conventional yeah. house or something, then if they build it themselves, I could, I would imagine they could turn some profit if they didn't live in it for yeah. a really long time or something. Yeah, definitely. And uh, as long as you don't factor in your time. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's, that's, that's the crazy thing. But I, yeah. I guess again, you know, with like the van conversions, you're building out yourself and you get sort of some intrinsic value from that and yeah. you build it exactly yeah. how you want it. Yeah. And you kind of, kind of want to do it anyway. Or, you know, if you, if you want to buy a ready-made one, then you've got to shell out a lot more, a lot more money and and it's going to depreciate. So it's like a, it's not only a cost upfront, Mm. but it's like a depreciating, depreciating asset. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Nate Murphy, it's been so great to to chat with you and get to finally meet you. The man, the myth, (laughs) the legend, Nate Murphy. Um, People should definitely check out DIYhero.me and the van conversion guide. We'll, we'll link to all that stuff in the show notes. Um, for this episode. Thanks, I appreciate Nate. it, Ethan. Thanks so much for having you on. Thank you so much to Nate Murphy for being a guest on the show today. You can find the show notes, including photos of Nate's van conversions and his home in the Pyrenees, plus links to everything we talked about at thetinyhouse.net slash 284. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 284. And before we go, just a quick administrative note. The podcast will be going to an every other week format through the end of the year. I have some exciting construction projects that I'm working on right now and want to continue to deliver the best possible interviews on the show. And so I decided that the best thing to do would be to go to an every other week format so that I could still give you the best stuff, but not have to make it quite so often. We'll be back to our regular calendar in 2024. And I hope you stay tuned and stay subscribed to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.